Go ahead and stand right now. We're going to worship God for who he is and what he's done in the past, right now, and in the future. He'll be the same. He sends his grace to you. We're glad you're here. Remember those walls that we called sin and shame. They were like prisons we couldn't escape. But he came and he died and he rose. Those walls are problem now. Remember, go. Remember those giants we called death and grave. That stood in our way, but he came and he died and he rose. Those giants are dead now. This is our God, this is who he is, he loves us. This is our God, this is what he does.
again, you guys can have a seat. My name is Jordan, and we are thrilled to have you here at Capital City this morning. Uh, it is Red, White, and Shoes Sunday. Of course, it's Independence Day weekend. We're excited about that. But a little more on the Red, White, and Shoes part here in a little bit. We're continuing our summer staycation series. Uh, John's going to fill you in on the Red, White, and Shoes part. But in the meantime, got a couple things that we want to make you guys aware of, as always, before we go any further in the service. First of all, next Saturday, which I believe is July 8th, we're gonna be having our ladies brunch. So if you are a lady and you like brunch, which many of the ladies in my life do like brunch, this is the event for you. It'll be here at Capital City Christian Church at 11.30, or 11 a.m., sorry, got the time wrong there, um, this coming Saturday. So just an opportunity for the ladies to get together um, as ladies like to do. So put that on your calendar if it interests you. Um, what interests me is the day after that, we're gonna be having one of my favorite events that we do. We're gonna have on July 9th, next Sunday, our pool party annual event over at Jennifer Hills Park. Now, what I really like about this event is a particular thing that we do, the Cannonball Splash Competition. Do we have any former champions out in the crowd by chance? We have one, I know, here on the stage, um, but he's lost a considerable amount of weight since winning his championship. So we're gonna need somebody new to step up, okay? And I'm gonna lay down a challenge right now. This is unscripted, but, you know, Ben, our head pastor in waiting, you know, I mean, we're all impressed with his preaching ability and his ability to connect with humans, but we haven't seen his splash abilities yet. And guys, he's a big guy. He's not, he's not heavy set or anything, but he's six foot five. So he should be able to make a pretty good splash. So I'm laying down the gauntlet right now. Ben, I'm challenging you, not, not me, but you versus the rest of the congregation. See who has the best splash. Okay. I want to see that. Uh, the other thing we want to make you guys aware of is we're having our Getting Started class today. Now this is, if you're new to Capital City, or perhaps you're new to the faith, or you just want to know more about what it is, what it means to be a Christian, we want to provide some answers to you in a low pressure, no pressure environment. So we're going to be doing that at 1045 following this service, and then at 1215 following the second service out in the connections room. You just go straight out these doors, take a hard left, and some of our leadership will be in there um, to inform you a little bit, um, but also just open up to any questions that you guys might have about faith or Capital City specifically, okay? Um, so make sure to, um, if, you, if that interests you, to head out right after this service or right after the second service, as the case may be. Now, we are starting a new series today, and we're calling it Trail of Grace. We're going to be looking at, over the next several weeks, um, the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. You know, I don't know if you've, if you, how much of the Old Testament and the New Testament you've read, but a lot of times we as Christians can have the perception that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New. Right? The, old, the God of the Old Testament seems to be vengeful, and he's heavy on justice, and he's light on grace. At least that's our perception, right? But then we come to the New Testament, and uh, God is Jesus um, on earth, and he is full of grace, right? And maybe a little less heavy on some of the judgment. At least that's our perception. You know, and there's a lot of theories about this. Some people have theorized that God himself got saved between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I ran that one by Doc, and he wasn't crazy about the theology behind that one. Um, but uh, what I like to think about this in terms of is some of the gentlemen I know who have made the transition from father to grandfather. Okay, this is not a perfect analogy, but we think about some of those people. One of those is our own Steve Smith. You wouldn't believe it, but he is now a grandfather. I mean, he's got the typical white hair and all that, so, but, you know, yes, congratulations, Steve. Uh, but I also think about my own father and the transition he made from father to grandfather. You know, growing up, I mean, my dad was a, he was the disciplinarian at our house, and you didn't get away with nothing, right? 
But now, he's got these grandkids. He's got 12 grandkids, three of which are my kids. He lets these kids get away with murder. It's unbelievable. Have you seen this? Have you seen this with maybe your own dad who's made the transition from granddad to, or from father to grandfather? I gotta be honest with you guys. Um, it, it was hard for me at first to understand this because one of the things my dad did as the primary disciplinarian at our house is he spanked me. Yeah, I was spanked as a child. It's hard for me to talk about. That's the way, why I am the way that I am. Okay, now you know, okay? And I know this is an uncomfortable conversation for some, but I think, and this is not about spanking, but I think the whole spanking debate was best summed up by one of our elders on social media this week. Our own Shane Smith had this, he shared this at least. He says, my parents spanked me as a child, and as a result, I now suffer from a psychological condition known as respect for others, okay? Right? I mean, yeah, that is what it is. But you, that, that is exactly kind of what we're talking about. You've got the God of the Old Testament, and our perception often is, that he was, you know, just this harsh disciplinarian who was short on grace, and then the God of the New Testament has completely changed, and he's now full of grace, and he's a little less on the condemnation. The, rea- the reality is God has not changed. Scripture says he, was the sa- he is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Our perception sometimes changes, but he doesn't. In fact, I'll, I'll call your attention to an Old Testament passage um, out of Exodus, which is one of the most ven- vengeful books you could ever read. He said this, he said, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. This is the Old Testament God. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. God is the same, always. He is full of love, he is full of compassion, and he's also full of of justice. It doesn't matter where in history you find yourself or where in scripture you find yourself. He is always the same. And Ben's going to enlighten us more on that here in a little bit. In the meantime, I'm going to ask you guys to stand up and we are going to worship the God who never changes. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich life. himself just that he is the God sometimes we only have these nicknames in scripture that he is the provider Jireh is a, a is a name that we're gonna be using in the next song it's about his grace that he provides even in the most difficult of circumstances and we sing these words and know that you're talking about his pr- uh, providence for you the way that he provides for you in every circumstance
I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am
Father, we believe that you have chosen to be in this place today. We've gathered to give you glory. You have turned our shame into glory. Through our weakness, you have constantly shown your strength. And Father, we come here because of your grace. We come here because we can do nothing else but give you gratitude. Because we have nothing to bring except our gratitude. Father, we give you all honor, glory, and praise. Amen. Have a seat for just a moment. We're about to go to the, uh, the tables, and I just want you to know where we stand in all this. When we have scripture from Exodus that talks about God being the God of grace, when we talk about what we're going to be all the way through God's word, I'm telling you, every, everything that you read points to Jesus Christ. Everything in history points to Jesus Christ. Everything in our lives need to point to Jesus Christ. And I'll just say as a challenge, if it isn't, why? Life is so short. We have just a few years to give to be able to spread his message, to tell the world about him. And if you're not a light, you need to change it today. And as we listen to God's word in this place, we need to be reminded of that. We don't just listen and go, that was a great message. Oh, that was great. We were so good to be able to do this. It's to take this out into the world and let them know that we have been changed because of grace. I was in shame, and now I am a part of God's glory. I was mourning, and now I'm dancing. I was just bones. It was nothing. And he brought us together, and he turned us into an army. Guys, this is amazing to think about his grace. And I want to be thoughtful of that as we're about to go to the tables, because Jesus Christ has done this. It's what he did that allowed us to be here, to worship God the way that we do, to know who he is, and to call him Father. And that's his grace. The grace sent his son to this earth let him die for us let him die in our place and that's why we celebrate that each week when you go to the table you'll get a chance to take some bread and some juice both of these represent his blood and his body that were sacrificed for you to know God and his grace and if you want to give this the place that you call home you want to give this some uh, boxes that are called offering. And you may give from a heart that's so cheerful and, and full of gratitude because of what he has done. So you give to people that are in need. We have a generous bucket as well. This is a little bit different than any other place that I've ever seen. You give your offering, and if you have something extra that you want to get, some kind of compulsion within you, that you know that God is kind of speaking to you and you want to give outside of that offering, that's where that goes to, to help people in this community. You're home. This is home. This is a family. And when we kind of celebrate together, we're just going to say, God, you're amazing. Your grace is so phenomenal. I cannot help but tell you how happy I am because of what you've done in my life. So keep that in mind. Be mindful of that as you stand and you go to the tables right now.
Do you have a memory somewhere back in time when you realized for the first time that you were receiving something you didn't deserve? You got like a story, a memory somewhere way far back. Now, I don't think it was probably the first time that you actually received something you didn't deserve. I think it's just the time that you remember, the first time that you had an awareness, an understanding that something significant was happening in that moment. I, I have a story like that, all right? There was a, there was a wonderful woman in, in my life when I was a, a young child named Miss Judith. Now, Miss Judith uh, was a true Southern belle, all right? She was from Louisiana. She was always prim and proper, always dressed really well, always spoke very well. She cared deeply about manners and presentation, all right? All the Southern Belle type of things, okay? That's who she was. Unfortunately for her, she had agreed to teach a Sunday school class that my, you know, I, I was in and a couple of my friends, and we were not true Southern gentlemen, <laughs> all right? We would cut up, we would distract, we would... We would constantly just interrupt and, and create problems for her. And, and she was just like exhausted with us. And she reached her point where she was going to do something about it. And so Miss Judith called our parents. Now, she didn't call to tattle on us. She called to, uh, to set up a date. <laughs> she called and told my parents that she was going to take us out to dinner and that we had to dress nice. All right. And so she showed up at our house, at my house, and I had my khakis on and a dress shirt and a tie that was way too big because it was my dad's. I was, like, I was like second or third grade, right? And then we go and pick up my friends, and they're dressed the same. And then she took us to the finest dining establishment of the 90s, Red Lobster. You guys remember them? <laughs> Have you been to Red Lobster lately? It's not the same, all right? It's different. It's changed. But it was fancy then. Like, that was as good as it got. My parents never took me to Red Lobster. Miss Judith took me to Red Lobster, but my parents never would have taken me there, right? And so she takes us there, and she sits us down at the table, just her and the three of us, and, and she lets us order whatever we want, and she talks to us nice and kind, and she asks us about our lives and what we like and what we like to do, about our schools, about our friends, all those kinds of things, and just treats us so incredibly well. Like, I'm eating shrimp for the first time in my life and thinking, where has this been? Like, it's just amazing, best night of my life, right? And, and, you know, the food comes out, and, and she teaches us about the napkins and how to set them on our lap and the silverware and when to use Like, the whole thing. It was just this incredible evening. And at the very end of the night, just before we're done and we're ready to get up and, and leave the table, at the very end of the night, Ms. Judith looks at us and says, Now, I don't think I'm going to be having any more issues with you boys in class, am I? That was it. That was the whole thing. There was no lecture. There was no long conversation. There was no anything complicated about it. It was just a very, very simple little statement. And my friends and I, like in unison, responded with, no ma'am, right? Because she had treated us so well. I think that was my first interaction with Grace. I don't think that's really true. I think I'd experienced Grace before that. But that's the one in my mind, my earliest remembrance of Grace, a time when I got something that I didn't deserve. You see, we often, like I remember as a kid, the word grace being defined, and it looked like this, right? Like grace is getting something that you do not deserve. And I remember that grace has that companion word mercy, and it's the same words, just in a little bit different order. Mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. And I remember that night getting something I didn't deserve. I deserved her to call my parents. 
But she, you know, I deserved for her to discipline and to be harsh with us, but she didn't. That was mercy. I didn't deserve shrimp. I didn't deserve red lobster. But she took us out and she treated us well. That was grace. Now, I think when we look at these definitions and when we think about grace and its companion word, mercy, oftentimes we focus on that deserve part. Oftentimes, whenever we think about these words, we focus on these last parts of these definitions. It's the deserve part. It's the role that we play in this. And so when we focus, especially within our relationship with God, and we think of the big things that we don't deserve, the grace that we get from God, and we think of the big things that we do deserve that we don't get out of the mercy of God, right? And so we think of salvation and forgiveness, eternal life. It's what we just celebrated at the tables for communion. That's the grace of God, the big graces of God. And the mercy, you know, we think of what we actually do deserve from our God, and it's not pretty. And he gives us mercy. What if we changed our perspective just a little bit? What if we shifted our attention away from the end of these definitions and we moved it back to the front of those definitions? What if we looked at the getting part? What if we looked at the things that we actually receive from, from, from God? I was having this conversation with Doc recently. I noticed that Doc uses words differently than I do, and that, you know, that's new for me. That may not be all that different for you guys, all right? But it's new for me. He uses words differently than I do. And I've noticed this for some time, and then we're getting ready to do this series on grace. I'm sitting in his office, and, and I've noticed that he uses the word grace differently than I do. And I asked him one day, we're sitting in his office, and I asked him, I said, Doc, why do you use the word grace like I use the word bless? Why do you, you know, he, he says grace or that I was graced or, or the graces, like he puts it plural. Those aren't necessarily words that I use. I use bless or blessing, blessings, right? So Doc, why do you do it that way? And Doc just looked at me and, and I mean, you know Doc, and so just very simply he looked at me and he said, well, grace is getting things that we don't deserve. And I don't deserve a lot of the things I have. And it caused me to kind of think through my own life and even how I use language. You see, I think sometimes we use this word blessing because we know that we don't deserve it, but we feel like we played a part. Like somehow I've done something to kind of earn something from God. And so we'll call it a blessing because we feel like we kind of earned it a little bit. But if we call it a grace, we have to be painfully obvious. We have to be painfully blunt that I don't have any business at all having this. I mean, we talk about things like our families or our jobs, our houses, our friends, our health. We talk about things and we call them great blessings, but the harsh truth is I don't deserve any of that stuff. It's all grace. You see, when we focus on the deserve part of those definitions, we make it into the big things. But if we focus on just the getting part, it changes our perspective and we start to catch a glimpse of just how much God has actually graced us. So much more than we realize. His grace is so much bigger than what we give him credit for. Now what if? What if in humility we rightly see ourselves as deserving nothing from God? And what if we shifted our thinking away from what we do or don't deserve and we simply looked at the beginning part of that definition? What if we begin to look at everything we've received from God as being a way that God has graced us? If you step into the New Testament, you're going to find this word charis. It's the Greek word that's used throughout the New Testament for um, for, for grace, all right? And it just simply means gracious, it means kindness, it means goodwill, it's a gift 
or a favor, okay? It's something that you receive from God. It's a common word. If you've known Doc for a while, if you've ever sent Doc an email, maybe even a text message, uh, he'll have that word at the end as his kind of uh, signature out, right? Charis, it means peace, it means grace, right? And it's seen all over throughout the New Testament. It's used over 150 times. Around 100 of the times that it's used in the New Testament comes from a guy named Paul. Now, if you don't know Paul's story, you should know that grace is a pretty big deal to him. Paul was this guy who really, really loved God. He loved God so much that he hated anyone who, who created problems for his God. And he viewed Christians in this new movement as a problem for his God. And so out of righteous judgment that he felt that he rightly had, he began persecuting and even murdering Christians. He's a murderer. And that's his story up until one day in a very miraculous way. This is in Acts chapters 9 where, where Jesus meets him in a profound way and he's changed instantly. And I think from that moment on, Paul realizes that he receives the grace of God in a big way, but every breath he takes from that point forward is a grace of God. That he deserved something much more harsh from God than what he received. And so when you read Paul's writings, he can't hardly get through anything without bringing grace back up. It is everywhere. It is littered through everything that he's saying, even into something like this. In Romans chapter 3, 24, he says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, because that is the big grace. It's central to everything that we do. The New Testament is just focused in on that idea. And so the things that we talked about earlier, the forgiveness of sins, the fellowship with God, the eternal life, all those kinds of things, those are the big ideas. Those are the big graces that we received, but it's more than that. If you look into Jesus' life, you'll see practical graces throughout everything that he does. In fact, I believe that everything that Jesus says and does reveals and actualizes the grace of God. We, we, we make a big deal around here from John chapter 1, verse 17, where it says that Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. And you see that even just with how Jesus lived and how he interacted with people. Jesus, Jesus gave attention to misfits. He paid attention to the people that were left out everywhere else. And so you had like these uh, leper colonies where the sick people were sent to go be away from the rest of the community because they didn't want to get infected. And they weren't talked to, they weren't looked at, they weren't treated with any sort of respect. Jesus would go into those spaces and he would talk to them. He would even touch them. It's an incredible thing. It's grace. There were these people in Jesus' time who were tax collectors. They were seen as the worst of the worst. They were traitors to their nation and to their religion, to their God. Jesus invited himself to their homes. I think he did that because they knew that they couldn't possibly invite him over. Like it had just been awkward and uncomfortable to invite a holy man to their house. They knew that they would never say yes. And so Jesus just frankly just comes up to him and says, hey, I'm going to go to your house today. Let's go. Let's go have a party. And he had meals with them and he would bring their friends in. In fact, he even takes one tax collector and makes him one of his disciples, one of his inner circle. Even the same thing with women. At that time, Jesus couldn't couldn't have stood out any more than how he interacted with women, allowing them to follow and listen and participate in his ministry, treating them as valued citizens. It's a different kind of way of living. Jesus actualizes, he reveals the grace of God just in how he treats people. But it's bigger than that. There's this other part in Philippians chapter 1, 
verse 7, where Paul writes this. He says, all of you share in God's grace with me. And he writes this to Christians in Philippi, but he could have been writing this to us just the same. All of you, all of us are united by grace. We know that we're united by the work of Jesus on the cross. We know we're united by the Holy Spirit and how it binds us together. But it's bigger than those things too. It's even grace. There's grace even in the fact of what we share in common. There's another verse in James chapter 4. And it's, it's just this one simple little sentence it's in the midst of all these other ideas that are going on. But just very simply, James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. He says, but he gives us more grace. I love that sentence. If you want a simple explanation of what the New Testament message is, I think it's right there. He gives us more grace. That however much grace you think God gives you, he's given you even more. Now this may feel like a tangent. Okay, but I, I want you to consider how you view the Bible. Do you see the Bible as an instructional manual? Some people do, right? Sometimes we call it that. Do you see the Bible as a list of rules and expectations that God has given us? Some people feel that way, right? What if it's more than that? What if the New Testament is revealing to us something much bigger what if it's just telling what what if it isn't just telling the stories and telling us what to do what if what if grace isn't even about you and me what if grace isn't about what we do or don't deserve what if the new testament is revealing to us who god is and what if it's revealing to us that he's a god of grace what if it's all just this story of grace. And if that's true, if the New Testament is revealing to us who God is, then it would stand to reason that the Old Testament should probably support the idea that God is gracious too, right? That would make sense. That grace should be a central theme in both the New Testament and Old Testament. As as Jordan mentioned earlier, you may not know this, maybe you do, but there's some people who really struggle with the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the ways in which God is represented. And maybe you've heard this, maybe you've believed this, maybe you believe it today, maybe you believed it in the past. There's some who think that God, that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. That they're different gods. In fact, there's a guy in, in history named Marcion who was a theologian. He wasn't a very good one. He's actually more of a heretic, all right? But he believed that they were different gods. He believed that the God of the Old Testament was evil and then the good, gracious God is the one who finally takes over through Jesus in the New Testament, okay? And there's some people who still think those things today. In fact, if you find someone who has a real problem with the idea of God in the Bible, typically they go to stories in the Old Testament. And to be fair, there's some messed up stuff there, man. There's some weird stories, there's this time when Adam and Eve eat the wrong fruit and they get kicked out of the garden and they don't get to hang out with God anymore. That seems kind of harsh. There's this story where God floods the entire world and kills everybody except for one family. It's difficult to explain. There's a guy named Abraham who waits for decades to have a son. It's all he really hopes for. He wants to have descendants past his life. And he finally gets one in his old age. And is thrilled to raise this young man until one day God asked him to go and sacrifice his son. That's really weird. It's really hard to understand. It kind of makes God sound evil, doesn't it? And then you have all these places 
where God is trying to lead the Israelites into their promised land, and he's telling them that whenever you get there, you have to kill everybody who's there, like completely kill all of them, completely exterminate these people groups so that you can take the land that I'm promising you. Those are hard stories, right? And then you compare that to the Jesus of the New Testament, and it is a stark difference. Jesus shows up and he says, hey guys, you should call God Father, to which I think everyone would have been a little bit nervous about that, right? There's this Jesus who does sacrificial saving work on a cross. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, God demands sacrifices, but in the New Testament, God is the one who makes the sacrifices. It's different. Yeah, these stories where, where Jesus tells people that you're supposed to forgive someone 70 times 7. It's not a math equation. It's, it's an idea. You see Jesus constantly challenging his followers to love people who they don't like. He challenges the idea of who a neighbor is. He challenges the idea of who a friend is. And we have responsibility to them. And it seems like something changed. It seems like maybe something happened. It seems like maybe God changed. A few weeks ago as we were going through our remastered series and looking at the fruit of the Spirit, we talked about faithfulness. And we used a big word for that. We talked about immutable, which just means unchanging. And we said that God is an unchanging God. We say that we believe that, that he's faithful, that, that his, he's consistent, and that's why we're able to trust him. So which is it? Either he's immutable or he isn't. He's either trustworthy or he isn't. Either he's a God of grace in the Old Testament and the New Testament, or he isn't. And the reality is that if God didn't change, and there should be evidence of a gracious God in the Old Testament, shouldn't there? If he didn't change, then we should see these little glimpses of grace. If there's a word like charis in the New Testament, then there should be an equal word in the Old Testament. And there is. It's the word chanan. It's fun to say. You can practice that at home if you like. It's, a, it's said from the back of the throat, not the front of the mouth, all right? But it's chanan. It's a Hebrew word. It means grace. It means favor. It means gracious or generous. And this is going to be fun. It's used almost the exact amount of times in the Old Testament as the word charis in the New Testament. Almost the exact same numbers. And this word, whenever it's used, typically is speaking about charitable actions, usually from God to man. There's a book that Doc and I have been reading uh, to prepare for this sermon series. And in fact, we have it. We have a couple resources in our connections room if you're interested. And one of them is a book called Charis, it's C-H-A-R-I-S, written by a guy named Preston Sprinkle, okay? And he looks at grace through the Old Testament, and here's what he has to say. Grace is the spine that holds the whole thing together. Every character, every event, every single page from the Old Testament bleeds grace. It's everywhere. It's all throughout. We saw earlier with this verse that Jordan introduced, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, says this. says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in life and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is a statement that is made by God. This isn't what people are saying of him. This is what God says of himself. This is how he's introducing himself to the Israelites. This is what he says he is. This is who he claims to be to them in the very beginning. And I love this. The old rabbis of that time came up with something that's called the 13 attributes of mercy. 13 attributes of mercy that they pull 
directly from those verses. And I don't have time to go through all of them with you today, but I want you to see just a couple of them. It's stuff like this. God is merciful before you sin, and God is merciful after we sin. Remember that word mercy connected to the word grace. They're, they they kind of go together. That God is gracious. He gives us time to repent. I love that idea. You ever thought about why it is that some people just live so long? And it seems like maybe God and his grace is allowing them more time that they can come. That God is kind to those who don't deserve it. These are, these, these are just like, I think, four of the 13 attributes of mercy. I'd encourage you to go and look them up and, and just kind of type in Google 13 attributes of mercy and you're going to find this list. And when you read through them, if you have any understanding of who Jesus is, if you know anything of the New Testament, when you read these things, you're going to think Jesus it sounds like a description of who Jesus is, which is phenomenal because this is Old Testament rabbis looking at two verses on the mercy of God because it's the same God. It's the same God. It's the same idea. He's been this way the whole time. There's so much to look at. There's stuff like this. In the Old Testament, there's this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, which is kind of this weird box <laughs> that God has the Israelites make, and it's fancy, and it's special, and it's a big deal. And within the box, he says, I want you to put some stuff in it so that you can remember some things from the past. And what they remember is grace. It's stuff like this. One of the things in the Ark of the Covenant is manna. That's from the time when the Israelites are, are traveling. They're escaping out of Egypt. They're now in this desert. They escaped, and so they just kind of grabbed whatever they could. They're out in the middle of this desert. They don't have any ability to feed themselves or take care of themselves in that kind of a way, and they begin crying out to God, like, like you saved us so we can just starve in the desert? What is this about? And so God gives them manna. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I love this word manna because it, it just kind of means what is it? Because they would wake up every morning and there would be this stuff on the ground and they would look at it and they'd say, what is it? <laughs> and that, they don't know. It wasn't meat, it wasn't vegetables, it's not bread, but they would gather it and they would feed on it and it sustained them. God gave that to them for 40 years in the desert. God said, let's put some of that in a jar and let's put in the Ark of the Covenant because I don't want you to ever forget the graces I've given you the ways in which I've walked with you and provided for you and taken care of you every step of the way. There's this other thing in there called the budding staff. It's a really weird, strange story, okay? Moses and Aaron are leading the Israelites, and because they're in the desert, because they don't have food, some people kind of got upset, and there kind of came up this little bit of a rebellion. Some people started kind of pushing back, and some other guys thought that maybe they should be the leaders, and it kind of creates this whole little revolt situation, and God steps in and says, I tell you what, everybody grab your staff, and you're going to put it in the tent of meeting where God resides, and he says, I'm going to reveal who I want to lead this nation. And so they do. Everyone cars their name into their staff. They lay them on the tent of meeting. They leave, kind of sit back and watch, and then they come back in. And when they come in, they pull their staffs, and everybody's staff is the same except for Aaron's. Aaron's is now budding as if it were alive. It's weird. There's flowers, like, budding out on it. There's almonds growing on it. Like, it's a strange, weird story, all right? And what happens is God says, let's put that in the ark because I don't want you to ever forget the ways I've graced you. That even whenever something was going to divide you from within and create conflict, I want you to remember how I stepped in and I provided clarity for you as a nation so that you could be unified and be able to move forward. Because God, is, his grace just keeps showing up in all sorts of ways. Even this, the other thing in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. And when we think of commandments, we think of rules, we're not necessarily thinking of something nice. That doesn't really feel like grace. 
feels like harsh, right? Do you understand that there is incredible grace in the fact that our God has revealed himself to us? That God, whenever he had this nation that he's trying to lead, he didn't just sit back silently waiting for them to figure out how to worship him, waiting to see what they could do to make him pleased or to honor him. Instead, God speaks and he reveals himself to them even through rules. It's grace. Over and over and over again, it's grace and it's so much more. There are stories like Hosea, which is one of my all-time favorite stories and we'll get to talk about that later in the series. Stories of people like Ruth and a guy named Joseph who, you guys remember that book when you were a kid, Alexander, the no good, horrible, awful, whatever, very bad day. You remember that guy? That's Joseph's life. Like everything that could go wrong does go wrong for Joseph and his story is just this beautiful story of grace. How God puts him exactly where he needs to be and even brings families back together. It's powerful. There's these redemption stories of people like Moses who leads the Israelites but he's a murderer. There's Jacob and Esau. Jacob is one of the dirtiest, shadiest people you'll find in the Old Testament. And God just keeps picking him over and over and over again, and he works on him. And at the end of Jacob's life, he is a refined version of a very rough, awful man. But he's better now through the grace of God and good things happening, and God changes his name to Israel, who a nation will be named after. I mean, we don't have time to go through all the stories, certainly today, and we don't have time even in this series, but I want you to know that in the next nine weeks, we're going to look at grace in an unexpected place. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament because it is filled with the grace of God. When we find Jesus in Matthew at the beginning of our New Testaments, he's the fulfillment of grace that has been taking place for generations before him. It didn't just start with Jesus. It's always been there. We're going to find that we have a God who has grace in abundance, like more of it than we can understand. And he always has and he always will. That however much grace you think you've received, however much wrong you think you've done to prevent God from giving you grace, as if somehow you're the one who's exhausted it, right? That he has so much grace. In fact, he, like, he goes overboard, overboard with it. God is absurd with his grace, he just keeps giving it away in all sorts of ways that we can't even fully comprehend. We're going to follow these breadcrumbs of grace in the Old Testament and see that our faith in Jesus is something that was established long before we knew his name. It's going to be powerful. Maybe you've not ever really interacted with the grace of God. Maybe you've kept him at arm's length. Maybe you haven't always believed that he's capable of giving you grace. I want to challenge you today to open your mind to the grace of God. Maybe that's a conversation about Jesus. If you want to do that now during this song up front, I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you want to meet with me in the connections room afterwards, we can have a conversation about Jesus in our Getting Started 101. It's not so much a class, it's just a time to make sure that we know what we're talking about here when it comes to Jesus and how to start a relationship with him. Why don't you stand? Let's worship this God of grace. We're going to recognize he is the same God.
Amen, amen. Give it just a seat for just a second, if you would. Aren't you glad to know that we serve a God who was, who is, and who always will be? It doesn't change. doesn't matter how much we change, he doesn't change. Uh, Ben's in the connection room this morning. If you want to talk to him about getting started, 101, what that means about getting started in a life with Christ, uh, we'd love to talk to you. I can slide back there as well. Um, if there's anything else you want to chat about, feel free to stop by. One of our elders is in the prayer room back over here uh, to my left over your right shoulder. If you want to stop in there, feel free to do that as well. I think Ben mentioned that we have a couple of books that go along with this series. If you want to pick up a copy, we've got them in the connection room as well. I think one is $10, the other is $20. Um, that's just what our cost is. We don't make any money off of those things. But if you want to sort of follow along in this series, as we will begin this uh, series on grace, we'd love for you to do that. And I know earlier Jordan talked to you about our July nudge, which is coming up. Uh, we've got what we're, what we're doing is uh, red, white, and shoes. And so a few years ago, one of our uh, youth resource coordinators here in our community that works with one of our schools uh, started this ministry called Turning, Turning Bare Feet into Learning Feet. And she was finding that a lot of kids in our community didn't have shoes. And some, some had, well, they had shoes, but they weren't in very good condition. And so over the past few years, this has been a, a ministry of hers to provide new shoes to kids who need them at the start of the school year. And Capital City has been a huge part of pulling that off. I think last year they gave out almost 350 pairs of shoes, and our church provided almost 300 of that. And so what a tremendous opportunity. And so during the month of July, that's our nudge for the month of July, is we're, we're asking you to help us out by buying a new pair of shoes and bringing them in, and then we will deliver them. And so you're going to make your way out this morning. You're going to see a table in the lobby. Some people have already jumped the, jumped the gun on us and got that going. And so if you could do that for us throughout the month of July, if you're, if you're like, well, this is the only Sunday I'm going to be here this month, then drop them off at the office, okay? Or you can bring them on Sundays or drop them off during the office, whatever's most convenient for you. But if you could help us out with that, let's help make sure our kids are ready when school starts, and I know it's hard to believe it's just over a month away, but let's, let's turn uh, bare feet into learning feet, okay? Hey, I know God's got something in store for you this week, something that he wants to use you to do in somebody's life, so have your eyes open, your ears attentive to that, okay? Let's get out there and do something big for him. You guys have a great one. We'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday. <laughs>